there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you press play. If you're interested in entrepreneurship and you hate school, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a successful educator, entrepreneur, and author who hated school when he was a teenager and even dropped out of high school when he was 15 years old. But before I introduce you to the amazing Danny Eney, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that brings you an exclusive window every Monday into what episodes we're going to be dropping that week. Just head over to our website at Time the number 4coffee.org to sign up. It couldn't be easier. And while you're there, please check out all the other amazing professionals we've had on the show. Just scroll down a little bit and you'll see they're all organized by career. So hopefully you can find exactly what you're interested in. And if not, then please hit me up on email at andrea at time, the number four coffee.org, and let me know which profession you'd like me to feature, and I will do my best to find a dynamic professional to interview. Now, my wonderful Java junkies, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Danny Eney, a lifelong entrepreneur, best-selling author, and the founder and CEO of C, an online business education company. Danny has developed the widely acclaimed training, coaching, and support programs, including the Course Builders Laboratory, Standout Guest Posting, the Business Ignition Boot Camp, and the Aces Club, which together have graduated over 5,000 value-driven entrepreneurs. Danny's nine published books include Teach and Grow Rich, The Audience Revolution, Engagement from Scratch, and his newest book, Leveraged Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. Danny's lifelong love-hate relationship with education began with dropping out of high school at age 15 and eventually led him to earning an MBA from Canada's elite Queen School of Business. Danny, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Andrea, I am caffeinated, ready to go, and excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. So I would love to start, Danny, by learning more about your new book, Leverage Learning. Why did you want to write this book? And what are the key messages you want readers to walk away with? Sure. So, you know, I have a colleague who says that the path to a successful book starts with a dinner party conversation, then it becomes an article. And presumably, you know, the dinner party conversation gets a lot of traction, that becomes an article that does really well, and that becomes a book. This book followed a very different path because I would have dinner party conversations about education, the world of education 
application and how broken it felt to me. And the responses I would get would be very, very polarized. Some people would say, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think college is broken. I think education is a sham. Don't really understand all the details, but I'm with you. And I'm like, okay, that's you know <laughs> not the kind of blind being on board that I was looking for, but cool. And then I would get this camp of responses that were the yeah buts. Yeah, college is too expensive, but you needed to get a job. Yeah, companies are dropping degree requirements for job postings, but you know it's still a path to being well-rounded. Yeah, college doesn't really prepare you for the labor force, but that's not all that school or education is supposed to be about. So whenever like I would talk about something, people would concede a point, but jump to another because it's this deeply held belief around how our society functions. And after a couple of years of this, I was like, okay, you know what? I just need to get the data to either support my argument and, and being able, be able to make the case properly or to see that I'm wrong. And so I dug into the data and what started as a little personal private research project ballooned into a year-long undertaking with like a dozen people on my team helping out. It really became this massive project and it became leverage learning. And, and at the outset, I thought I would see a lot of data pointing that things are going where I expect them to go. And what I found is that it's actually how things already are. It's just that people don't realize it yet. And the core idea is that the world of education, and that is very focused on on college and universities, but it's broader than that, is something that evolved to its current form over decades and centuries. And it just hasn't kept up with where the world is at right now and where it's going. And so we live in a world where the cost of college is mounting and mounting. And it's this core focus for so many people in their lives. You know, I joke that we essentially spent 18 years trying to get into college and then at least 18 years paying it off. Yeah. And it's like, what are we getting in exchange for that? Right? The average American uh, college graduate carries over $30,000 in debt. When you think about the interest they're going to pay over the life of that debt, it brings the real cost up to $46,000. And that doesn't even consider opportunity cost and all that kind of stuff. And what are they getting in exchange for that? The answer is not much. The data show that if you look at recent graduates, say 22 to 29, almost half of them are unemployed or underemployed, meaning they're working in a job that does not require a college degree. And of those that are working in a job requiring a college degree, three quarters of them are working in fields that are not what they study. So clearly the degree is not getting them to where they want to go. And there are just mountains of data showing that this is true. So the first half of the book essentially looks at why things are so broken. And the second half is, well, what does education need to look like instead? And the big takeaway for lifelong learners, for students, for parents of students who are thinking about college, for business leaders, is that we need to be a lot more intentional about the guidance and direction of our own education and career. We can't just say, all right, I'm going to sign up for this four your program because that's what I'm supposed to do next and trust that degree in hand, life will just be okay because that's just not how things work today. So you have planted a number of seeds in my brain and I have a few follow-up questions for you. The first being, Danny, what was the research that you were basing your book on? Where did it come from? So I wanted to get as wide and broad a picture of how is education figuring into the success that people want to have as possible. So I read every article I could find on the internet. I read news reports. I dug primarily into books. I, I'm a big fan of books because books contain the distilled and synthesized 
analyses of other smart people rather than trying to piece together individual data points, which is also important to do. But you know, you want to lean on the shoulders of really smart people who've already done that. And started with one book, and that became two, and that became five, and that became ten, and the list kept on growing. And I very quickly realized that, like, for me to complete this research project in anything resembling a timely manner, it's going to be just impossible. This would take like a decade reading every book under the sun. So I actually contracted a team of freelancers. I said, I want you to write me a book report on these books. I'm going to pay you two hundred dollars to write me a twenty or thirty page annotated book report. I want a summary of all the ideas with page stamps so I can go and refer back into it. And this ballooned into a multi tens of thousands of dollars research project that allowed me to go through at a high level a couple hundred books around the world of education, education reform, the science of learning, how we overcome obstacles and adversity, and then go back to the original sources and then go back to the sources cited in those books to see kind of chasing down the rabbit hole what this is based on and when is it real and substantive and sometimes when is it, you know, conflated or taken out of out of context. Fantastic. And I assume, unfortunately, I don't yet have leverage learning, but I'm definitely going to buy it and read it. You have footnotes in the book so that readers can check and see where the data is coming from. And notes, 200 and something of them. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. The other follow-up that I have relates to a point that I think you made, which was that three quarters of college graduates are in careers that don't relate to the degrees that they have. Three quarters of college graduates who are employed in a job that requires a college degree. It's only, I guess, three eighths, sorry, it's one eighth, one eighth of total college graduates that are actually working in a job that requires a college degree in the field they studied. People aged 22 to 29. So my gentle pushback to the premise of the point that you just made is that I actually think that it's very rare and based on the evidence that I've accumulated, I think, in fact, if you studied something in school that you were excited about, you're in one way or another, and even if you weren't excited about it, pulling from the degree that you studied, your writing is getting better, your ability to analyze is getting better, you perhaps had courses in which you were doing public speaking, or maybe your extracurriculars involved that. So you're pulling upon the skills that you honed while you were in school, and that it doesn't really matter if it applies to the major that you had. So I agree and I disagree, which means this will be an interesting conversation. <laughs> um, so I agree completely that not every kind of education is vocational training, right? We don't have to go study English literature because we want to work in English literature, right? There are a lot of good reasons to study English literature, top of the list being we are interested in English literature, and that's great. But when people go to college, they go to college not primarily, and this is the majority, it's not everyone, but they go to college not primarily because they want to pursue something that they just happen to be interested in as a hobby. People go to college because it's supposed to open doors in a career, right? And so either you're studying something that is supposed to directly open a door into a career that you're going into, or it's supposed to be a container for delivering skills that will help you over your lifetime, like public speaking, like being able to get along with others, like cognitive skills and critical thinking and all that kind of stuff, which has become kind of the fallback of, of a lot of non-vocational colleges and degree programs, basically saying, look, we train you for nothing, but we educate you for everything. 
And that's an amazing, amazing promise to make. The challenge is that the data show that colleges are not delivering on that promise. There's been a very interesting research study. It's uh, written up in a book called Academically Adrift, talking about the critical thinking skill gains of people going through a four-year program. And more than a third of them had zero, no cognitive growth, no critical thinking skill gains whatsoever. And this is especially concerning when you consider that most people going through a four-year program are in the ages of 18 to 22, which is a period of life when there's a lot of brain development that's still happening. So at least some of the gains that are happening can't be attributed to college. It's just a factor of 22-year-olds tend to think more clearly than 18-year-olds because they have four more years of experience. So I agree that we don't need everyone who's coming out of a degree to be able to work in that same field. But I disagree in the idea that like it doesn't matter what you study, it doesn't matter where you go. You have to be taking things that are valuable. And the fact that almost half of college graduates are not working in a job that requires any college degree, employers are not seeing a connection between what they studied, what they took away from it, and what they need in the workforce. So let me give you an example of someone I interviewed on Time for Coffee who studied something related to speech. Today, he's the CEO of a marketing company that works with Hollywood films. While he was in college, he was helping to pay for college, working as a bill collector for an ambulance company. On the surface, it would appear that job was way below a college degree. But he cites that experience, Danny, as now being invaluable to him and has been invaluable to him over the course of his career because he learned very early how to do cold calling. And my goodness, if you're cold calling as a bill collector, it gets a heck of a lot easier when you're offering a service, for example, in the marketing field. I actually think that sometimes those jobs that may not require a college degree are complementing some of the skills that you are getting while you're studying in college or community college or, or university. And I, I'm guessing you're going to disagree with me again, which is good. <laughs> well, no, I don't disagree. I think, you know, I'm using the cold calling around bill collections as an example. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that job. I'm not saying it isn't valuable. I think there's a ton that you can learn and that not everybody who does the job learns, but some people certainly do. I'm saying going to a four-year college and spending tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, plus all the time and opportunity costs, etc., to then end up in that job is the problem. I think it, it could be a great learning experience. I just don't think it's a good return on the investment of college. Like Something else that I find is a little bit challenging with the narrative, because I agree with you in concept, right? You know, Every experience is an opportunity for us to take a lot of things away from it. But it sounds like this person that you interviewed on Time for Coffee is someone who is sharp, someone who is super on the ball, someone who is committed to getting the most out of every experience and situation. And those are wild cards when you look at achievement data sets, because in any group of people, you've got a handful of people who are basically going to be successful no matter what, right? And they're just going to take everything that they can out of every situation. And that's great. That's good for them. And I, I wish more people would adopt that attitude. But education fundamentally is supposed to be a shortcut, right? Whatever the outcome is that you want to get to, whether it's a level of knowledge and understanding, whether it's a career trajectory, whether it's doors being opened, whatever it is, education should get you there in less time or at less cost or with less risk than if you just tried to figure it out yourself by trial and error. And if it's not getting you there, then a dinner party conversation becomes an article and presumably, you know, the dinner party conversation gets a lot of traction and that becomes an article that does really well and that becomes 
school seniors this book as they're trying to figure out because do they want to pay thousands of dollars, whether it's going to a community college, which is obviously less expensive, or a state school, or really shelling out the big bucks to go to a private college. So I think we're putting the cart before the horse in starting with the question of should I go to college, which college should I go to? The first question is, what do you want to do? Okay, right? If you go to college, if you don't go to college, whenever that educational episode in your life is over, what do you want to happen next? I think college is a great path into certain careers. Certain careers are regulated and you can't get into them without, can't be a doctor if you don't go to medical school. College, if it's the right college in the right context, if you are equipped and can afford it, etc., can open a lot of doors. I don't buy into the idea of, you don't need to know what you want to do, you can just go to college, figure it out there. College is a place to quote unquote find yourself because it's a very expensive and inefficient way of doing that. So I would start by figuring out what is it that you want to do, right? If there are, and listening to a podcast like this one is a great way to start about getting a sense of what do different jobs, what do different careers actually feel like? They can listen to podcasts like this. They can reach out and try to connect with people in different roles. Say, can I take you out to coffee and get a sense of what a day in the life is like for you? You can do an unpaid internship. This is one of those things that I always find amusing. A lot of are like, well, what do you mean work for free? And I'm like, that's a lot better than paying someone else. What I found is that it's If you think this is a field you want to go into or there are different fields you're considering, reach out to leaders in those fields and say, I really want to learn about this space. Can I work for you for free for three months? in exchange for half an hour of your time once a month to sit down and ask you questions about what I'm observing. If you reach out to enough people, it's not hard to find someone to say yes to this. And that may bypass the college college altogether, but even if it doesn't, at least you have this clarity that, okay, yes, I know what I want to do. I know this is what I want. And once you have a sense of the path that you want to pursue, then you can resource yourself as you go down that path appropriately. And college may be the right path. The big challenge is when people say, all right, I'm going to go to college because it's what's supposed to happen I don't really know how that leads into the next step after that in my life because I don't even know what that step is going to be. I'm just going in with a hope and a prayer that it will just work out. College just costs too much in terms of time and money for you to just do it and like you know hope for the best. Almost half of them are unemployed or underemployed, meaning they're working in a job that does not require a college degree. And of those that are working in a job requiring a college degree, three quarters of them are working in fields that are not what they study. So clearly the degree is not getting them to where they want to go. And there are just mountains of data showing this is true. So the first half of the book essentially looks at why things are so broken. And the second half is, well, what does education need to look like instead? And the big takeaway for lifelong learners, for students, for parents of students who are thinking about college, for business leaders, is that we need to be a lot more intentional about the guidance and direction of our own education and career. We can't just say, all right, I'm going to sign up for this four-year program because that's what I'm supposed to do next and trust that degree in hand life only just doing be okay 15 because hours that's just a week not how things in your work summer today. internship so but do it i think that is of such amazing advice and i have a few follow-up questions for this future of being learning what was is, the research what do you think your it will look on? like where did in, it come maybe it's already so here, i wanted to get as wide and broad a picture so of speaking specifically about post-secondary education so after after high school people because i think k-12 is going to go through an enormous amount of very much needed reform it's just it's its own news report I, but I divide post-secondary education into three because buckets. Books the first bucket is foundational adult education. That's essentially what colleges try to do with non-vocational programs when they say we train you for nothing, but we educate you for everything. Except that they don't. But there is merit to the book. We do need a foundational layer of knowledge.
knowledge and, and skills, it allows us to like just function well in society. And that includes yeah, and anything some subject matter, technical stuff, like how to manage a checkbook and how to communicate persuasively and that kind of stuff. And it includes a lot of soft freelancers. I said, I want you to write CEOs. And I know because I've done this informally. And ask them, I want you to think of like page three, four, five best people I want to have on all the ideas right? page you know, so kind of make their mental back say, well, it. what makes this balloon so great? Hardly ever tens of thousands of dollars. These CEOs talk about, well, they're just really, really go good programs high level or the technical skills of their field. I'll say, well, this is someone who is just super on the ball, they're resourceful, they're reliable. You can count on them to get them whenever they take on. They will figure things out. They take initiative. They play well with others. They talk about all these soft skills. What does make them super valuable? I think there's that first bucket, which is a foundational education in some subject matter stuff and some way of working, way of being stuff. That's our first bucket. The second bucket is last mile education. That's about the bridge between whatever your foundation is and the career that you want to go into. And that can be as simple as an internship or a coding boot camp. It can be as elaborate as medical school. And then the third bucket is continuing adult education over a lifetime. It's what you need to do to stay current. Now, we're seeing a few really interesting shifts to the landscape of education. One of the big shifts is from a lot of education just in case at the start of a career to a lot more education that requires time. So instead of four years learning a whole bunch of stuff that may or may not be relevant or even still current or applicable and not obsolete at the start of a career, maybe one or two years of foundation plus last mile and more like you know four or five years over the lifetime of your career staying current on really specific subject matter related stuff in much smaller, more granular forms. So think online courses, seminars, workshops, some self-directed learning. And students and professionals need to think very differently about their education. There's a really, I think, telling quote from Larry Summers, who is the dean of Harvard, saying that anything you learn at school will be obsolete in five or ten years. And it may also not have been studied yet in terms of the job. Well, and that's the key question. I find this so fascinating. And we see all these reports about how the hottest jobs today didn't exist ten years ago. We have to train people today for jobs that don't even exist, but, you know, will be so important tomorrow. And then people say, well, okay, so how do we do that? What do we do? And the knee-jerk reaction I see a lot is, well, we need to just train everyone to be data scientists. Well, no, because first of all, most of the economy is not data scientists. And second of all, you're falling into the same trap. If the hottest jobs of tomorrow don't exist today, why would it be data kind of education is vocational training. And so there's a thought exercise in literature because we want to be someone who's going to be in demand and current and relevant in a world of literature, capitalist being we're interested in English literature. And that's great. But you're, when you're people go to college, they go to college not primarily, and this is the majority, it's not everyone, but they go to college not primarily because they want to pursue something that so they just happen to be interested in as a hobby. People go to college today, because it's supposed to open doors in a career, right? And so either time, you're studying something that's supposed to directly with, open a yes, door I into do a career that you're going into, or it's supposed to be a container for delivering skills that will help you over your lifetime, like public speaking, like being able to get along with others, like cognitive skills and critical right thinking and all that kind of stuff, me. which has become kind of the what fallback of, of a lot of non-vocational colleges and degree programs, basically saying, look, we train you for nothing, but we educate you for everything. Every day, and that's an amazing, amazing promise to make. It's a great the question. I want to emphasize that I'm not colleges are not delivering on that promise. statement. I think been very interesting reading study that you're interested in, that you know you want to pursue. Journalism is a critical thinking study. It owns your mind. It teaches you to think. It teaches you to write. It teaches you to ask questions. Data science zero. teaches no data science and growth, no critical that. thinking, so that's value gains but that's whatsoever. Not. And this the is especially matter stuff is that most tables going goes back to that program are in the survey of CEOs that 
idea. Too, what makes the best of life the when best? there's a lot of brain development that's the most still valuable? So at least not their subject matter skills alone. Of course, they need to be at the college. But it's everything else that you're able to table. It's the fact that the 18-year-olds because they have four more years of experience. So I can figure things out who are completely reliable. You can count work to work well with other people around. I disagree in the idea that like it doesn't matter what you study. It doesn't matter where you go. That doesn't matter. There'd be five other jobs and the fact that they do. I can think off the top of my head in my organization. There are plenty of people who have an amazing team that if I were to eliminate their job and what they study, what they don't need to do that and what they need. But there's tons of other stuff this person could do, and I would be lucky to have them in any number of roles. So it's not to say don't get specialized expertise. Of course you should, but it's also don't neglect the broader foundation, which is learn how to work well with other people, learn how to solve problems, learn how to think about things that are ambiguous and figure them out. This is a bit of a digression and tangent, but I have small children. And given that I write about education, I've been quite outspoken about it. I get asked a lot, so what are you going to do with your kids? Are you going to send them to traditional school? And it's a hard question to answer because, of course, every child is different. There's no blanket right answer for all kids. But there are a lot of things that make me very uncomfortable about sending my kids to a traditional elementary, high school type environment. And a lot of it comes down to, well, look, the curriculum is super arbitrary and they teach a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter and may not align with the kids' interests. It may not pace with the individual cognitive development of the child. Like tons of reasons. And I say, you know what? I can compensate for those things. I can supplement. I can do other things. The one thing that I can't get my head around is essentially we're asking children to spend most of their formative years, right, for, for 12-ish years in an environment where they're trained to look to someone else to tell them what they should think is important. And well, no, I don't not disagree. I think that's you know, the world we live in today, and especially the world we're going into, for example. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that job. I'm not saying it isn't valuable. I think there's a ton that you can learn, and that not everybody who does the job learns, but some people certainly do. I'm saying going to a four-year college and spending tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, plus all the time and opportunity costs, etc., to then end up in that job is the problem. I think it can be a great learning experience. I just don't think it's a good return on the investment of college. Yeah, like something else that I find is a little bit challenging with the narrative because I agree with you in concept, right? You know, every experience is an opportunity for us to take a lot of things away from it. But it sounds like this person that you interviewed on Time for Coffee is someone who is sharp, someone who is super on the ball, someone who is committed to getting the most out of every experience and situation. And those are wild cards when you look at achievement data sets because in any group of people, you've got a handful of people who are basically going to be successful no matter what. Right, and they're just going to take everything that they can out of every situation, and that's great. That's good for them, and I, I wish more people would adopt that attitude. But education fundamentally is supposed to be a shortcut, right? Whatever the outcome is that you want to get to, whether it's a level of knowledge and understanding, whether it's a career trajectory, whether it's doors being opened, whatever it is, education should get you there in less time or at less cost or with less risk than if you just tried to figure it out yourself by trial and error. And if it's not getting you there, then what's the point? Way that so then what is the has been developed what do you is not think for everyone. And if right you don't fit into that box, you're today's the one who has high school seniors as they're trying to figure out do they want education offerings of dollars. But I would actually community love college, to talk which is obviously less expensive or a state school, or really shelling out the big bucks and to go to a private college. So I think we're putting the cart before the horse in starting with the question of should I go to college, which college should I go to? The first question is what do you to want to do, right? If you go to college, if you don't go to college, whenever that educational sure, and, and episode in your life is 
particularly brave what do you because want to happen next? bravery, I think of course, college is proceeding a despite fears. Into certain careers, but, certain you know, careers 15, are regulated. You can't get into them without even having the fears. So, so that's college, not necessarily a mark of right bravery so much as the mark of like, you know, I didn't know what I could know. afford it, et cetera. I can open a lot of goodie two shoes kind of kid. I had the idea of forgetting all my lack of that. You can just go to college, figure it out there, college is a place to quote unquote find yourself because it's a very expensive and inefficient way of doing it. So I would start by figuring out what is it that you want to do, right? And listening to a podcast like this one is a great way to start. It's about getting a sense of what do different jobs with different I don't do anything halfway. They can listen to podcasts like this. They can reach out and try to connect with people in different roles. I think that first semester I and get a sense of what a day in the life is like for you. You can do an unpaid internship. This is one of those things that I always working on the same boring thing. What do you mean work for free? And I'm like, this went on for about a year and a half. And when I was about right? 15 and a half, halfway exactly. through the if 10th grade, I just kind of like took a step back myself. there are different fields you're considering. Like, okay, what am I doing? Like, am I going to really say, I really want to learn about this space? Can I work for you for three, for three months in exchange for half an hour of your time once a month? I was like, this is not a good question about what I'm observing. So I think I'm going to be a official. If you reach out to enough people, it's not hard to find someone to say yes to this. And that may bypass the you said it's the brave thing. Again, I think it doesn't. At least you have the clarity that, okay, yes, I know what I want to do. I know this is what I want. And once you have a sense of the path, Later in life, then you can talk about that resource yourself as you go down that path. But there's an interesting contrast there. The when I big challenge is when people say, "Are they going to college?" Because it's what's supposed to happen. Danny, I don't really know how that leads into the next step. Implication in life because I don't even know what that step is going to be. I'm just going in with a hope and a prayer that which I never really bought. College just costs too much in terms of time going back for you to just do it and finish your hope for the best. It's not that big of a deal. And most colleges actually, at least in Canada. That. I imagine that the same in the U.S. Right. They have what's Rather called a mature student program where if you've been out of school for at least five years, you don't need a high school diploma. Saying, you can just get accepted okay, at 18 credits to your program and essentially graduate. So most colleges implicitly why. agree that a high school education is worth about 18 credits or a semester change in that college. So there's this implication of irreversibility, which I don't think was accurate. Right? I could have always gone back to school if that turned out to be the right path. But the flip side of that is that about 10 years later, through a variety of circumstances that made it feel like it's the right move. I was like, summer, I think I'm going to go back to school and get an MBA. And the prevailing narrative around was like, that's you great. That's exactly free. what you should do because it's like the traditional, well-trod path to success. And, you're and only doing that MBA hours took a year change of my life and it took a lot of my money and I can't ever get any of them back. So whereas this ostensibly super risky path that everyone thinks it's like super irreversible and it's like you're throwing your life away, actually, there are not a lot of permanent consequences if you're careful about so that. whereas specifically about post-secondary education so after yeah, after high school be because I think K-12 is going to go through an enormous amount so of very much needed really reform it's just and it's, it's its own started kettle of fish down the path but I divide post-secondary education into three buckets the first bucket is foundational adult education that's essentially what colleges try to do with non-vocational programs when they say we train you for nothing but we educate you for everything except that they don't but there is merit to the promise right we do need a foundational layer of knowledge and skills that allows us to just function well in society. And that includes some subject matter technical stuff like how to manage a checkbook and how to communicate persuasively and that kind of stuff. And it includes a lot of soft skills. If you were to poll CEOs, and I know because I've, I've done this informally, and ask them, I want you to think of like the three, four, five best people you have on your call team, right? They you know, kind of make their mental list and say, well, what makes them last so great? Hardly ever do these CEOs talk about, well, they're just 
really, so really good programmers head, or the technical skills of their field, they'll say, well, this is someone who is second just edition, super on the ball, they're resourceful, they're reliable, you can count on them to get them whenever they take on, they will figure things out, they take initiative, they play well with others, they talk about all these soft skills to make them super valuable. So I think there's that first bucket, which is a foundational education in some subject matter stuff and some way of working, way of being stuff. That's our first bucket. The second bucket is last mile education. It's about the bridge between whatever your foundation is and the career that you want to go into. And that can be as simple as an internship or a coding boot camp. It can be as elaborate as medical school. And then the third bucket is continuing adult education over a lifetime. It's what you need to do to stay current. Now, we're seeing a few really interesting shifts right, in setting to the landscape of education. One of the big shifts on my team is check from a lot of education in just in case that at the start of a career yeah, to a lot more education, but just but in time. So instead of four years learning a whole bunch of stuff that may or may not be relevant or even still current or, or applicable and not obsolete at the start of your career, maybe one or two years of foundation plus last mile and more like you know four or five years the lifetime of your career staying current on really specific subject matter related stuff in much smaller, more granular forms. So think online courses, seminars, workshops, some self-directed learning. And students and professionals need to think very differently about their education. There's a really, I think, telling quote from Larry Summers, who's the dean of Harvard, saying that anything you learn at school will be obsolete in five or ten years. I'm very grateful to be in a position where we can have a hit in terms of the job Well, and that's the key question. I find this so fascinating. We see all these reports about how the hottest jobs today didn't exist ten years ago. We have to train people today for jobs that don't even exist, but will be so important tomorrow. And then people say, well, okay, so how do we do that? What do we do? And the knee-jerk reaction I see a lot is, well, we need to just train everyone to be data scientists. There's Well, no, because first of all, most of the economy is not data scientists. But second of all, you're falling into the same trap. If the hottest jobs work tomorrow don't exist today, why would it be data scientists? We don't know what it's going to be. And so there's a thought exercise to think about, well, what do we need to be someone who's going to be in demand and current and relevant in a world that we can't even imagine right now. Until you so can, let's talk until about you that. And so you've <laughs> got to fight you're, that you're laying stay out, out there already and travel why to the right events and talk to the right people and work and with your coaches and work with your colleagues and keep looking for ideas and solutions. So what does and that keep mean on trying things until for things young start to work people again, today eventually who they did. may and have for me, asked the question ahead of time and answered it with, yes, I do need to go to college. Yes, I do want to be, let's not say data scientist, let's say I want to be a magical happen, and I do believe that going to college kind of is the right years old at the time for me. Converged on this what idea, that might be a good can idea they be doing, Danny, to position themselves for the disruption, disruption that is happening like regain, every day, every month, every year? It's a great question, and I want to emphasize, I'm not anti-college as a broad blanket statement. I think, especially if you're studying something that you're interested in, that you know you want to pursue, journalism is a great thing to study. It hones your mind, it teaches you to think, it teaches you to write, it teaches you to ask questions. Data science teaches you data science and everything that comes with that. So that's valuable, but that's not enough. The subject matter stuff is table stakes. It goes back to that informal survey of CEOs that I did. What makes the best people the best? What makes the most valuable people the most valuable? It's not their subject matter skills alone. Of course they need those things, but it's everything else that they bring to the table. It's the fact that they are people who take initiative. The fact that they are people who are curious, who can figure things out, who are completely reliable, who you can count on, who work well with other people around them. All of those things are what makes it so that if that amazing person's job were made redundant, that doesn't matter. There'd be five other jobs that they could happily do, right? I can think 
off the top of my head in my organization, there are plenty of people, because I have an amazing team, that if I was, if I were to eliminate their job, I would just say, look, we just, we don't need to do that anymore. It's like, but there's tons of other stuff this person could do, and I would be lucky to have them in any number of roles. So it's not to say don't get specialized expertise. Of course you should. But it's also don't neglect the broader foundation, which is learn how to work well with other people. Learn how to solve problems. Learn how to think about things that are ambiguous and figure them out. This is a bit of a digression and tangent, but I have small children. And given that I write about education, I've been quite outspoken about I get asked a lot, so what are you going to do with your kids? Are you going to send them to traditional school? And it's a hard question to answer because, of course, every child is different. There's no blanket right answer for all kids. But there are a lot of things that make me very uncomfortable about sending my kids to a traditional elementary high school type environment. And a lot of it comes down to, well, look, the curriculum is super arbitrary and they teach a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter and may not align with the kids' interests. It may not pace with the individual cognitive development of the child, like tons of reasons. And I say, you know what, I can compensate for those things. I can supplement, I can do other things. The one thing that I can't get my head around is essentially we're asking children to spend most of their formative years, right, for for 12-ish years in an environment where they are trained to look to someone else to tell them what they should think is important. And that is just not a recipe for success in the world we live in today and especially the, the world that we're growing into for tomorrow. Danny, I have to tell you a personal story, which is when I left my last job in June of 2017, it was to be a full-time stay-at-home mom for our now 14-year-old, almost 15-year-old son. And I was thinking I was going to write a book and I started researching it. I had, in fact, found a potential co-author and the book was going to be about extraordinary professionals in all different careers who didn't learn until they were adults that they had learning differences. Through the course of a number of months, I read something like 20 books and came to the conclusion that, in fact, that book, the one that I initially thought I would write, had already been written in one way, shape, or form by a number of people, including Malcolm Gladwell, who's sort of well-known. He's done quite well with his books. And I thought, you know, the book that I really need to write is one in which I dig into the school system as it now exists, because here in the U.S., it was developed for and by people who are linear thinkers. And not everyone is a linear thinker. And we need to change the way that we look at non-traditional learners. I decided I didn't want to write that book. Eventually, I decided what I wanted to do was start this podcast. But I say that as validation for what you just said, that the way that our school system has been developed is not for everyone. And if you don't fit into that box, you're the one who has the problem. And that's where the various special education offerings come in. But I would actually love to talk with you, Danny, about your experience in school and in particular about your decision when you were 15 to drop out of high school. That was incredibly brave of you to make that decision. Could you share with us why you made that call? Sure. And and I don't think it was particularly brave because bravery, of course, is proceeding despite fears. But, you know, at 15, often you're too naive to even have the fears. So so that's not necessarily a mark of bravery so much as just a mark of like, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. But I was always a great student, goody two-shoes kind of kid. I had his homework done before going home, like all that. I was that nerdy little kid class. And that progressed until about the end of the eighth grade. 
And then in ninth grade, I don't know, a switch was flipped in my head and I just sat there in class and I was thinking, I am so unbelievably bored. And so I started cutting class. And as is the case with many entrepreneurs, I don't do anything halfway. <laughs> so, so I think the school year was divided into like trimesters or something. I think that first trimester, I missed 152 classes and the number kept rising. And, you know, I would miss a bunch of classes. I would come back two weeks later. I'd be like, they're still working on the same boring thing. It's like, so this went on for about a year and a half. And when I was about 15 and a half, halfway through the 10th grade, I just kind of like took a step back myself and I was like, okay, what am I doing? Like, am I going to really spend the next four or so years cutting class, going to the gym and watching MTV, which is what 15 year old kind of does. I was like, this is not a good use of time. So I think I'm going to make it official and start a business. I'll do something productive with my time. And you said it's a brave thing. And again, I think I was too young and not having the perspective to appreciate the risk. But something interesting to me, because as you mentioned earlier, I later in life, and we can talk about that if you like, I, I went back to school and got an MBA. But there's an interesting contrast there, which is when I decided to quit school, the prevailing narrative around me was, Danny, you are throwing your life away. There was this implication that not only was I doing something risky, but this implication of irreversibility, which I never really bought because I was like, you know, worst case scenario, going back to school and finishing high school, it's not that big of a deal. And most colleges actually, at least in Canada, I imagine it's the same in the US, they have what's called a mature student program where if you've been out of school for at least five years, you don't need a high school diploma. You can just get accepted, add 18 credits to your program and essentially graduate. So most colleges implicitly agree that a high school education is worth about 18 credits or a semester and change in that college. So there's this implication of irreversibility, which I don't think was accurate, right? I could have always gone back to school if that turned out to be the right path. But the flip side of that is that about 10 years later, through a variety of circumstances that made it feel like it's the right move, I was like, I think I'm going to go back to school and get an MBA. And the prevailing narrative around me was like, that's great. That's exactly what you should do because it's like the traditional well-trod path to success. And that MBA took a year and change of my life and it took a lot of my money and I can't ever get any of them back. So whereas this ostensibly super risky path that everyone thinks it's like super irreversible and it's like you're throwing your life away, actually, there are not a lot of permanent consequences if you're careful about it. Whereas the traditional path that everyone thinks is like the super good idea turned out not to be a great idea and completely irreversible. So that contrast was really interesting to me. And that's what started me down the path that eventually led to my current book. Danny, one of the questions I try to ask all my time for coffee guests is to share a time during their professional life when they struggled. Many of us have had multiple times over the course of their careers. I'm now 55 years old. This is my fourth profession. I think you call them plot twists. <laughs> Would you share one of those twists with the T4C community? And most importantly, how you persevered and what lessons you may have learned in the process? Yeah. So it's a hard question because there are just so many to choose from. And when I say I call them plot twists in the sense that failure is only failure if it happens in the last chapter, right? If it's not in the last chapter, it's a plot twist and the story keeps on going. So I'll share off the top of my head something that comes to mind is when we launched the second edition of my book, Teach and Grow Rich, a couple of years ago. So start of 2017. You know, the first edition had done well. The second edition was coming out. We're following that launch with an enrollment into our Course Builders Laboratory training program, which was very important for the core of what we do as a business. And we created this super elaborate, super complex, super elegant launch strategy that 
was leveraging the audiences of over 100 influencers that we're connected with and had all these different paths where people could discover our work and make their way to our program in a way that's organic and smooth for them. It was this huge, elaborate, really exciting thing. And we put all this in place and we fumbled the ball on the five-yard line. So it was a split second of human error, right? In setting up all these elaborate campaigns, someone on my team checked the wrong box in the email system that sends out all the messages. Yeah, you can tell where the story is going. But essentially for the core of the launch, and we had many tens of thousands of people who had raised their hand and said, I want to hear about this, 84% of them did not hear anything from us as a result of that. And took a few days, and ironically, because the launch structure was so effective, the 16% that was remaining did so well that it kind of looked like it just wasn't doing great. But like we kind of had like a false positive because of that result. So it took us a few days to catch it. And we scrambled and we did what we can to recover and all that kind of stuff. But in aggregate, when all the chips had had settled, that moment of a mistake cost us three quarters of a million dollars. And like, I'm very grateful to be in a position where we can have a hit of three quarters of a million dollars and still, you know, the business exists today. But we were not a a large enough organization. We're not General Electric or something where it's like you could just absorb that and keep on going. Like it was a big hit. And it led to it led to a very difficult year to follow. Things seemed to be challenging and the industry was changing and all that kind of stuff happens. And there's two things that went into ultimately solving the problem. The first was when we're in this place where, okay, things have broken, things have not worked the way I want, and I'm dealing with the consequences, and it's happened very publicly, we all have an instinct of, I basically want to get under the covers, pull them over my head, and like disappear until this all passes. Except that that's not how life works. Nothing passes until you fix it, until you make it pass. And so you've got to fight that urge and stay out there and travel to the right events and talk to the right people and work with your coaches and work with your colleagues and keep looking for ideas and solutions and keep on trying things until things start to work again, which eventually they did. And for me, the big turning point that made everything start to work, because I kind of reached two thirds of the way through that year and almost started having this crisis of confidence. It's like, am I just not good at this anymore? Can I just not make this work anymore? And then something magical happened, which is my two children who were kind of one and three years old at the time, converged on this idea that it might be a good idea for them to sleep through the night. And they started sleeping through the night, which means I started sleeping through the night. And all of a sudden, it's like I regained 40 IQ points and I can figure things out again. But the important takeaway is, yes, every storm passes. And we've gone on to do lots of great things and serve a lot of great people, which is great. But the challenge is not in how you approach things after the storm has passed. You don't wait for the storm to pass and say, all right, now I'm ready to kick ass. That's not how it works. It's when things are hard, still showing up and still trying and still remembering that as tough as things might be, this is not the last chapter, right? It's a plot twist. So you've got to figure out, okay, how is this changing the story and where, where do I go from here? Absolutely. It's why I think one of the most important soft skills you can have is grit. Mm-hmm. Final time for coffee question. If you could go back, not to college because you didn't go to college, but to Queen's School of Business, Danny, and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? It's a difficult question because I don't believe in going back and changing the past. I don't believe in regrets because on the one hand, I feel like the experience was expensive and time-consuming and absolutely not worth it. But on the other hand, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have started down all this path of research. I wouldn't have written my book. We wouldn't be having this conversation today. So who knows? But if I was advising someone not worrying about what future might be affected and alternate reality would be created, I would rethink 
why I really want to do it. Because the backstory of why I went back to school at the time is my startup had just fallen apart. My confidence was shot. And I was kind of thinking, okay, maybe I need a little more structure. Maybe I need a little more stability. Maybe I need the safety net that a traditional path would afford. And you generally don't make bold, creative, or inspired choices when you're in a place of fear or anxiety. So I would have said, Take some time to feel better. Take some time to recover. And if it still makes sense to do this in a year, do it in a year. But hold off because most opportunities are not as one-time only as we seem to think. But the consequences of pursuing the wrong thing tend to be very long-lasting. What great advice. Danny, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I hope Java Junkies will buy your book, Leverage Learning, How the Disruption of Education Helps Lifelong Learners and Experts with Something to Teach. I hope they will also check out your website at miracy.com, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com to see all the different courses you have if they work for them. And I want to thank you sincerely. This has been a fascinating discussion. Andrea, this has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.